You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Uh, great to be together with you all and uh, missed you last week. Uh, Dust and I were in Colorado with her family for vacation, uh, but we got to worship with you on our live stream. So I appreciate all of you guys, all of you tech people over there. And uh, uh, we felt like we were part of things last Sunday, so it was great to be with you. And we actually got um, out, out of cell service for a couple days, which was kind of weird. No cell, no inter- internet for 48 hours. So it's kind of like, wow, the whole world, there could have been a zombie apocalypse or um, aliens could have landed and uh, made contact and we wouldn't even know. So it was kind of interesting and uh, fun to, to get away. But it's great to be back together with you all. And if you're visiting with us today, we are uh, doing a series called Rooted from the Book of Ephesians. Andy spoke last week from Ephesians 4, and uh, we're going to be picking it up with Ephesians 5 this week. And if you are uh, new to the group or visiting with us and you want to kind of catch up, all of our lessons are on our podcast, and they are on our YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash South Bay Church, and they're also on our app. We have an app, and you can watch the videos right there on the app. We're trying to make it easy for you guys to, to stay involved with what we're doing, but... Um, so Andy did a great job last week bringing us into uh, Ephesians 4. And what we've been doing with this series is reading the whole chapter. Every time we um, get into a new chapter, we just read the whole chapter together. The, uh, the Bible describes the early churches coming together on Sunday mornings to uh, take the Lord's Supper and also to have public reading of Scripture. So there's nothing more first century than just coming together and hearing the Bible. So uh, Sean is going to read Ephesians 5 for us today, and then we will jump into the lesson. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be a hint, even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should, should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Live as children of life. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is disobedient, what the disobedient do in, the, in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days of evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always be giving, always giving thanks to the God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we, have, uh, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. Good job, Sean. Thank you. Uh, if you haven't turned there already, I hope you have. Go ahead and turn over to Ephesians 4, and we're going to... Uh, uh, kind of make some, some, some practical applications. So uh, Andy shared this last week, but the book of Ephesians, it's, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the uh, disciples that were living there in the city of Ephesus, uh, which was uh, in modern, what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, Paul was connected to this church. He spent a, a good amount of time there, and we looked at this in the first uh, week of the series, kind of how this letter came about and, and some of the background, so I, I won't go through that again. But this is unlike other uh, letters of Paul that maybe were addressing a specific issue or in response to specific questions, like the book of Galatians was written because of some real specific issues, or the book of Corinthians was written in response to some questions the church had. Uh, the, book of Eph uh, the, the letter of Ephesus to the Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians to the, the disciples in Ephesus was just kind of an all-around letter of, of uh, just a good Christian message. So it's a great uh, uh, letter for us to book to be using uh, for this series for us because it kind of gives us a well-rounded uh, teaching of Paul on what it means to be a Christian. So the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's talking about what God has done and who God is and what our identity in Christ is because of God's amazing grace. He says that we have been chosen by God the Father. We've been redeemed by God the Son. We've been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. And God's power is available to us who believe. So there, he really builds up how amazing it is to be a Christian. Uh, and he wants us to know how great it is. How uh, just Paul says, if there was one thing I could pray for you, is just that you would understand how amazing it is to be a Christian. And that's an important thing to remember because in our world, the idea of being a Christian is not really held up in high esteem. You know, if, if you ever watch popular media, if you ever watch a TV show and someone is a Christian, you just know they're not going to be a good person, right? Always, if somebody's a minister, and I'm a minister, so I, I take note of this. If you ever watch a crime drama and somebody's a minister, they're the one who did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> just always. 
And, and so, but Paul reminds us, no, it's a good thing to be a Christian. It's a good thing to follow Christ. God has chosen us. God has a plan for us. God has saved us by his grace, and he has good works for us to do. It's so amazing to be a Christian. And Paul is just effusive in his language in the first three chapters of Ephesians. But then in chapter 4, chapter 4, 5, and 6, he, he shifts into now, because of what we've been given, because of our identity in Christ, that should affect how we live. And the title of the lesson today is Careful How You Live. That's, if you didn't catch it, that was there in, in, uh, in chapter 5. He says, be careful how you live. And Andy mentioned last week, there's this one word in chapter 4. He says, therefore. And Andy said that therefore is there for a reason. Right? That therefore is there for a reason. Because we've been given so much, therefore, there should be effect in our life. Being a Christian isn't just knowing some, you know, religious lingo. It isn't just, you know, knowing how to kind of talk Christian or uh, listening to the popular Christian radio, uh, knowing those tunes. It's, it, you know what I mean? It's, it, being a Christian means your whole life is transformed. I mean, it, it, it changes your identity. It's who you are, not just on Sunday at church. It's who you are everywhere you go and everything you do. Uh, it's, it's from the inside out being a Christian is. Uh, that's just all the descriptions that, that Jesus had of his followers of what it would really mean to follow me. He, he's describing it, Christianity from the inside out. There's a transformation of heart and mind. We're made new by the renewal of our mind. So it's more than just name, just the name Christian. A lot of people will take, take that name, but there's more than just the name. You know what I mean? Um, if you've ever noticed, sometimes uh, some of the most shady apartments or neighborhoods have the most wonderful names. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, my, we, we were at a, a soccer tournament this weekend, and uh, my wife and, and daughter are staying at the Quality Inn. Yeah. And the Quality Inn, you know, if you pick one word to describe it, it might not be quality. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, I ran across this video, and I wanted to share it with you just on this idea of not just talking the talk doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you can speak the language doesn't make you a, a Christian. Uh, I, I, there's this animal in this video that is trying to be a different animal, and I, and I thought it was funny, so I'm going to share this with you. You might have seen this. on and on if you want more of that. I just can't get enough of it. I love it. Um, but being a Christian is more than just talking the talk. It's walking the walk. It's living the life. Being able to bark like a dog doesn't make you a dog, right? Uh, so all God has done, his, our identity in Christ, it, it means transform, transformed lives. And so last week, Landy left off with this passage uh, from Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. And he said, don't tell me that he got into Ephesians 5, but I saw on the stream. So yeah, um, that's okay. You can steal from Ephesians 5. Uh, it says in verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says, 
it, it, it's who we are, right? That, that God's amazing love causes us, because we're dearly loved children, to live differently, to walk in the way of love now. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, we look at that example and, and, and it changes who we are and it changes how we live. And so we're going to talk about three uh, things that Paul mentions in this chapter where are, are, that are transformed by God's amazing love. Number one, purity. Number two, community. And number three, matrimony. Um, and uh, just make some applications for our life. So, so number one, purity. In, uh, in verse one, it says, or verse uh, three, it says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is not a popular, popular verse these days. Nobody wants to, to kind of be held accountable or to talk about these types of issues and, and these types of things in our lives. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, that's kind of a vague in the English, but in the uh, Greek, which Paul was writing this letter in Greek, um, the, the word means any kind of sex outside of the marriage relationship. And, and in the first century, you know, people were either married or they were a prostitute. And yet Jesus, uh, Jesus and Paul elevated singlehood, and especially in the book of Corinthians. So uh, they, they had a different whole view of sexuality than in the first century. But sex was, is, is meant to be, by God, uh, covenant glue. It bonds together this covenant of marriage. And so sexual morality is the sexual, sexual acts that are outside of, of marriage relationship. And then he says, uh, or of any kind of, a hint of any kind of impurity or of greed, you know, the, not even a hint of these things. Uh, that is a, a challenging and hard line teaching, isn't it? Uh, why is Paul so hard line? Why is he so strong about the, these, just even a hint of these things? I think because that's the way that we end up in trouble is because we start with just little bits. We start with little, little hints. Um, we, 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 while we were on vacation, we got to watch a little more TV than I normally watch. Uh, you know how that is on vacation. We were watching several uh, sports um, events, and there were all these commercials that kept reoccurring uh, for anti-smoking. And I don't know if you've seen these commercials, but they'll have someone who's like missing half of their face, or they'll have someone who's talking through this little robot voice. Or, I mean, they, they're like... Really scary commercials. You could convert these into horror movies easily. Why are they so scary? They're trying to scare people into not taking that first little step. You know, trying that first cigarette or, or just, you know, thinking that they, it's cool to, to kind of go down this road. Uh, you know, it, it always begins with the little steps, the little choices, these mi micro choices that we make that then have macro consequences later in life. I think that's why Paul's saying, don't let there be even a hint of these things that... Satan has devised to hurt our relationships with each other and to hurt our relationship with God. I wanted to share an, an analogy that came to mind, something that I experienced in my own household with this idea of not letting there be even a hint of these things. Um, 
we've lived in our house for quite a while, about 16 years, I think 17 years maybe. And uh, it was built in 1986, so it's an, a little bit older house now. And, you know, there's different problems that come up with a, with a house that's, you know, got about that age and things you have to fix. But I noticed something that was really disturbing to me, and that was this crack in our porch uh, along the bottom. This is our back porch, and there was this crack forming. Uh, at first, it was just a little bitty crack, and I tried filling it in with silicon, and, but then it got worse. And you can see that this is like an inch and a half the whole porch is sinking. I'm like, why is this happening? You know, what's going on with my house? And uh, I, I called Brian Hood, and he gave me some advice. Here's a little bit of a closer view of that crack. Why is my porch sinking? Uh, this is the underneath of the porch, and uh, it, it, this is all stucco. So the porch is above this. This is kind of a box, and these are drains that drain the water. So... Um, the, the, the stucco was cracked, and there was just a little hole right there. But it was kind of small. You know, there's just this little hole and, and this little, uh, but, but, but why is it sinking? And so Brian said, we got to open it up and see what's really going on inside there. So we opened it up, and all this wood is totally rotten in there. And what had happened is this drain, so, so, so there's a drain. See this drain right here? So that's supposed to drain the pour, what's coming out off uh, the rain from the porch, but you can't really see through it because it's going through the stucco wall, but right in the middle there, there must have been a hole that formed and let a little water in, and then that hole got bigger and worse until finally, uh, you know, it, it was holding all the water in there, so that's the drain, that's the, how big the hole is in the drain now, and it was just rotting all this wood away, and so now this wood is is uh, sitting in water for years on end, and then it, it corroded, and so that's why the porch, which is above, was sinking. So that was a bummer, <laughs> right? A big bummer. And, and uh, it, it, all, it all happened just because of this little trickle of water, but it was allowed to just stay there. And that's what I think happens in our lives with, with sin, with habits that are bad for us spiritually, or with little hints of impurity, or hints of, of greed, or hints of sexual morality, that they, they, they add up, they accumulate, and it causes destruction to our souls. You know, every affair begins with just a little bit of flirting, or a little bit of, of mental fantasy. Every addiction begins with just a little sampling of whatever the product is, or just kind of a mentality of, you know, I deserve this. Right? It all begins with that. And God and Jesus uh, doesn't want that for us. I think sometimes we look at Christianity as being God is trying to keep all this stuff from us. No, God wants something better for us, and he knows the effect that these things happen. And especially for the younger people, you know, you think, oh, being a Christian means I have to give up this and giving up that and giving up the other. But if you talk to people who are a little older here, they will say, oh, I wish I had been spared this and that and the other, those things that seem appealing to you because of the destruction that they bring. God doesn't want to take something from us. He wants something for us. And so that's why he wants to keep these things out of corroding our, ourselves. And that's why Paul says, no, the, these people have, have no inheritance because why? What's happened? That, that They've forfeited that inheritance because the little hints add up. Those little hints of impurity or those little hints of greed. So, you know, I want to ask you, think, examine your own life, examine your own walk with God. These things that, that Paul mentioned specifically, are there hints of impurity in your life? You know, are there hints of impurity in your web browser history? 
uh, in your daydreams, in the places you let your mind go, in your office conversations or your school conversations? You know, would Paul, you know, looking at a, a videotape of your life go, yeah, I see a hint of these things. Uh, and if, if so, then, then that's where Paul's going to give us the answer. Well, how do we deal with these things? And I want to challenge you to, to, to take action in your life. Don't allow even a hint of these things into your life. Paul says these things are idolatry. Uh, he says the impurity, the, the greed, the immorality are idolatry. Why does he say that? Why does he say these are idolatry? I think it's because idolatry is putting something uh, in place of God in your life. Relying on what you can see instead of what you can't see. Why is immorality appealing? Because it makes us feel good for the moment. It's a way to control our, uh, our, our pleasure. It's a way to control our, our, our situation. Every sense of idolatry is, I'm, I'm trusting in what I can see and what I can control. You know, in the, in the, uh, the, story of the stories of the Old Testament, that God's people were always falling into idolatry. Why? Number one, they wanted to be like the, the nations around them. And number two, they wanted to be able to control a God. They wanted a God they could control. I, I did this and I did that, therefore you have to do that. And God doesn't work that way. The creator God doesn't work that way. He can be seen from his creation. We worship him for who he is. We pray to him, but he is under no obligation to us. He gives us his promises, but they're always in his timing. And so he always, you know, he demands our trust, right? He sometimes doesn't act in the way that we want him to. He doesn't act in the timing that we want him to some, sometimes. It's hard to be, to be a follower of, of the God Yahweh because you can't see this idol. And that's what, why the, the, the Israelites kept going, oh, well, I want this gold calf because I can see it and I can control it. And it's the same thing with greed. It's, I, I want to provide for myself. I want to have, you know, so I don't have to worry, right? We don't want to have to trust in God. We don't want to have to believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. And yet that's what the Bible says in uh, Hebrews eleven six: If we come to him, we must believe that he exists and he rewards us. We got to put our trust. What faith means is putting your full weight on. That's the word faith, putting your full weight, putting your full trust. It does, it's not blind unbelief. It's not blind belief where you, 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 it's not based on evidence. That's something that is a popular myth about faith that, oh, it's just blind. You're just following blindly. No, no. You have evidence and then you put your full weight on it. It's the same thing that science, scientists do with the, the different theories. They, they don't have all of the facts. They just know, okay, here's the evidence I have. Therefore, I'm going to go with this theory. It's the same thing we do. God has always come through. I see him in his creation. I see he answer, answered prayers, so I'm going to trust him. And we put our full weight on him. And, and Paul says these other things are idolatry. That's why they will corrode your soul. That's why that you've got to not let them into your life. So that, that's where community comes in. He says in verse 8, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Uh, you know, and he goes on and talks about being careful how we live. And, and, and so the community that we have is able to help us with these kinds of things. He says, expose these deeds of darkness. Let the light in. And we talked about this in our last series called Faithful Friendships, that 
from the very first story in the Bible, it says, Adam says, I was afraid and so I hid. He was afraid because of his sin and so he hid. And that's what we do because of sin in our lives is we hide and we put walls around ourselves and we try to not be real. We try to not be exposed. And yet that's where our answer is, is in a community where it's safe to be real, to be honest, to be open and to get help. And, and to, you know, it, it's amazing how when you start being vulnerable with someone else in our fellowship and then they are vulnerable right back and they go, oh, I've been there or I'm there right now or I, I can totally get what you're saying, you know, and, and you, you're able to get help and, and, and you lift each other up uh, rather than hiding behind uh, facades. And so, you know, uh, Brian Hood came over, that's Brian in the corner, and uh, we exposed what was going on with my porch and he helped me to, to, to shore it up. We had to, it, it required exposing what was really going on. It required tearing out the corruption that was in my porch and it required putting in good new wood and tying that into the, to, to the existing structure and building it up strong and he helped me with all of that structural stuff. And then I had to you know, seal it off. There's the top after I sealed it off with new stucco and there's no more crack, no more sin getting in. Uh, I sealed off the bottom and stuccoed it again. You know, this is, I did the, the, the cosmetic work. Brian helped me with the, the structural work there. But that's, that's really how the work of, uh, of, of building our, our relationship with God is it involves other people and getting open with other people and getting help sometimes to rebuild the structure that we need and talking about the stuff that's seeped in and then it's had effect over time. And, uh, you know, we, we talked in the last series about deepening, uh, picking one relationship to really deepen and, and go deeper with. And I want to give you that challenge again. If you didn't, uh, if, you, if you can't point to, oh, yeah, I really did strengthen this one relationship. I want to give you that challenge again to pick someone to, to get more vulnerable with or get more open with. And, and, and is there something God is putting on your heart right now where you're going, you know what, I should talk to someone about this or I should talk to someone about that. I should get help in this area of my life. And I want to challenge you to act on that. And you might need help with some of these things, you know, especially with purity issues. It might be beyond even just talking to somebody here. You might need more help, more resources. And I want to uh, make sure you're aware of this uh, ministry called Pure and Simple. That's a ministry of our church. Uh, and uh, the website is right there, pureandsimpleministry.org. They have all kinds of resources available, uh, support groups you can be a part of. Um, we have support groups in our area that you can join to get extra help um, with purity issues because these things can become addictive. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about uh, relationships that are not good for us. They can become very addictive. They, they grab us. So sometimes we need a little extra help. So I want to point you to that. But we are to be a community where we are helping each other and we are building these things up uh, because the, he says the days are evil. We make the most of every opportunity, verse 16, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not get fool, be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we are to be a community that is helping people to be filled with the Spirit instead of these hints of impurity and greed and idolatry. We are we're, we're helping people to, to have transformed lives, and we are, uh, we are there for each other. We, we are gi giving each other what we need spiritually. Uh, this is a picture of Richard getting baptized last week, and um, Richard is here. Oh, he's right back there. We'll, uh, 
We'll have to have him uh, share. He said he was willing to share his testimony with us. He said, if I could change one person's life, it would be worth it. So he's gonna, he has an amazing testimony he's going to share with us. But I love that picture uh, of these brothers coming together uh, and, and helping Richard to, to get his, his walk with God uh, where it needs to be and, and God using other people. That's how God works, right? Uh, when you think about what the world needs right now, when you think about uh, these horrible acts that were committed last weekend, these unspeakable crimes, and uh, just the wounds of our country, uh, when you think about political discourse in, in our country and how hateful people get in their speech sometimes uh, on social media, you know, the division, and, you know, here, here's Russia trying to make it worse, or, you know, other people trying to influence, and I'm going to try to divide people, and, uh, you know, we know the answer to to hatred and injustice and division is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. He is always the answer to those things. And Jesus is experienced best in community. And that's who we are. We are people that should reflect Jesus to one another and reflect Jesus to the world, a community of love and of faith and of hope. And he says, don't be like the world. You know, when you come together, don't get drunk on wine and, and just come together to party. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's something about coming together that helps us to each get filled with the Spirit. And I read a commentary by a guy. Uh, let me see. What was his name? I want to credit it properly. It was in Christianity Today. Uh, a guy named... Uh, oh, man. Oh, Andrew Wilson, Andrew Wilson. He was talking about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. How, and, he, and he asked the question, how can you obey a passive verb? You know, be filled with the Spirit. How do you obey that? And there's some people that, that, that kind of take it in, in the direction of, well, I need to experience, and I need to just hope that I experience the Spirit, and it's kind of an exper experiential direction. And there's other people that take it and go, well, no, I need to have habits and do things so that I am filled with the Spirit. And it's all about the habits that I do. And he makes the argument that it's both. And the analogy that he uses is a sailboat. And uh, the word spirit in the Bible, there's one word uh, that is used for both uh, breath and wind and spirit. And it's the word pneuma in the, in the Greek. We have those three words. So when you read uh, pneuma in the Greek, the translators have to figure out, do we translate this breath, do we translate it uh, spirit, or do we translate it wind? And, um, you know, it, 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 I, don't, I think they translated it correctly when he says be filled with the spirit. I don't think he meant be filled with breath or be filled with wind. I think he meant be filled with the spirit. But, it help, but that vision of wind and breath, it kind of helps you to see how, the, how Paul thought about the Spirit and how Jesus thought about the Spirit. You know, in, in John 3, when he describes the Spirit, he says, you see the effects. You can't see the Spirit. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Same way, you, you see the effects of the Spirit, but you can't see the Spirit it's, himself. And uh, in, in the same way, if you're in a sailboat, there's this unseen force that is an amazingly powerful force that is pushing you forward. And so there's the power of God in our lives that's at work that Paul keeps going back to, that this power is available to us. And yet there's a part that we play. You know, you've got to get the, adjust the jib, whatever that is. 
<laughs> you know, you, some of you know, you got to pull the ropes and the pulleys and get the sail up. There's parts that we do so that the Spirit can take effect in our lives, which, which means spending time with God, spending time in prayer, uh, opening His Word on a daily basis in your life, and coming together as a community and, and being filled with the Spirit together. And here he says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's something about singing together that helps us be filled with the Spirit, isn't it? You know, I love, I love Zoe and Leslie leading a worship, and, and they always help me get filled with the Spirit. Um, Paul says we speak to who? One another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's a horizontal dimension to our worship. But he also says that we sing and make music in our hearts to who? To God. So there's a vertical dimension to our worship, that the music we make, when we have instruments up here, it's just to accompany the, the real music, which is your heart's where you are making music in your heart to God. So you are worshiping God, but you're also singing and speaking to one another, which helps us all to be filled with the Spirit. And, 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 and that's what happens when we come together. This is a picture from youth camp, and I know we, we showed that video from youth camp. My daughter was uh, one of the gophers, so she was a helper there at youth camp. And I love what they did. The, the people who were in charge of the gophers said, I want you guys to go out into the, the, the group of kids who are here who are singing, and each of you to... Uh, to sing with all your heart. And, and, and so they kind of affected the whole crowd with their worship. Uh, that's what happens when we, when we worship together is, is we help each other to get more filled with the Spirit. Okay, last point. I'm running out of time. So matrimony. Um, Paul, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, he elevates marriage. He elevates uh, the view of sex. And I don't have time to get into this uh, today. We'll have to talk about it another time. But in the first century, marriage was arranged, and so uh, it wasn't like you, you grew up and you decided who you want to marry. It was decided by fathers. It was a very patriarchal society in, in the ancient Middle East, and women didn't really have a lot of power. They, didn't, they weren't educated. There were women that still rose up, even in, in the Roman Empire, even in the first century, because of just how awesome they were, but it was, it was a, a very subjugating society. And so when Paul says some of the things he says about marriage, it was revolutionary for, for his time. And so it's important to understand that in context. And I'm not going to talk to the wives. My, my, my wife, when she's here, I'll let her talk to the wives. But I'm going to talk to the husbands because I am a husband. And what he says to the husbands is, he says, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That was revolutionary in its time for, for men to treat women that way and to be called to treat women that way as Christ loved the church. That is not an easy thing. Think about how Christ loved the church. Think about what Christ did for the church. That is our role as men. You know, uh, years ago, my dad, who's a, a disciple and a, an elder in the church, I was a younger married man, and we had a, a, a discipling group of young men, and my dad was in town for vacation, and I asked him to, to, if he could lead a discussion for us. And he asked the guys that were gathered there, said, what does the Bible call us to be in marriage? What is our role in, in terms of our, you know, with our spouse? And the guys are like, oh, we're supposed to lead our wives. And he said, okay, that's good. You know, we, we're supposed to be the leader. Okay, where, where in the Bible does it say husbands lead your wives? And the guys are kind of like, huh. We're kind of looking through. Well, it doesn't say that in the Bible, does it? No, what does it say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The responsibility of following is, that's the wife's choice and, and her free will of whether she's going to obey that. That's a command to her 
The command to you is to love your wife as Christ loved the church and, and treat her like you treat your own body. You get that? Because yes. I think that a lot of guys are going, oh, I like the, I like the wife submit to me part. <laughs> you know, that's, that's up to her. And sometimes the women like the husbands need to meet my needs part. And, you know, but you guys tune out. Wives, you tune out. I'm talking to the husbands right now. Husbands, we are to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And, and then he goes on and he says, and, and just like you take care of your own body, your wife, it's, when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. And, and no one ever hated himself. You take care of your own body. You need to meet your wife's needs just like you meet your own needs. If there's anything guys know about how to do, it's how to take care of the needs of our bodies. When we're hungry, you know it, right? When we're tired, you know it. When a guy has a cold, you know it. When dad is sick, the whole house is like, oh, dad's sick. You know what I mean? We, we know what we feel, right? And especially when it comes to our physical bodies. And, and, and the Bible is saying that we are to be that attentive to the needs of our wife. And what is she feeling? What is she experiencing? Um, earlier in marriage, I, I was always getting off because, you know, I, I, would, I would try to, you know, I would think that I was meeting her needs, but I was meeting what I thought were her needs. <laughs> and then I learned that she has different needs than I have. My wife is very different than me, and it helped a lot. We went through this class called uh, Dynamic Marriage, and you put together kind of all your needs and stuff. And her top needs were like my bottom needs. And her, her top, my top needs were her bottom needs. And I was like, okay, so I got to meet her needs, not my needs. And, and, and then it becomes this edifying thing where you're meeting each other's needs. Um, we've been doing marriage counseling for a long time, probably 20 years, and it almost always boils down to where the husband is not feeling respected, He's not feeling like his wife is behind him. I can't do anything right. She doesn't think, you know, she doesn't appreciate anything I do. This is, what the, this is when there's problems. That's what the husband's feeling. Not respected, not appreciated. And then the wife is usually not feeling loved. I'm, he doesn't, he puts these other things above me. He, he's more concerned with this than me. He doesn't listen to me. He, he, you know, he's not responsive to this. It's usually the husband's not feeling respected and the wife's not feeling loved. And then the more that one is feeling this, the more this, the other's feeling that. And they kind of point to each other. And what changes it all is, is, is the husband going, okay, I'm going to love her as Christ loved the church. It's not a matter of what she's doing. I got to put her needs above my own. And you think about, you know, we, rather than assigning blame, did Jesus assign blame? He assigned all the blame to himself, didn't he? He took 100% of the blame. He carried the cross for us. And in the middle of talking about this, about the, uh, the body and, 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 and marriage, Paul says, this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I think it's so cool that he's, he's going, you know, Christ, just like we care for our own body, well, Christ takes care of us, the body of Christ. And just like a husband leaves his wife and mother and goes and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. He says, this is a mystery, but this verse in Genesis is talking about marriage. That's talking about what Christ did for us. And as we take communion, you know, think about what did, what did Jesus do for us, the church? Jesus gave up his security in heaven. Uh, he gave up his, uh, his comfort. He gave up his, uh, his, his, his uh, it says he, even though he was in nature God, he made himself nothing and he took the nature of a servant. He took the nature of a slave. He gave it all up to be with us, his, his power, his comfort, his security. Paul says he became poor for our sake. Although he was rich, he became poor 
for our sake. It's a, it's a love story. The story of what Jesus has done for us, the church, is a love story. And so as we, as we take communion together and remember his body and his blood, I want you to have that on your heart, what God has done for us in Christ. This amazing love story that Jesus gave it all for his bride, for us, the church's bride. Let's pray. God, thank you to be able to worship you today, uh, to sing songs to you, to be able to listen to your word. And uh, I pray that we can make decisions to rid ourselves of impurity, uh, of, of hints of greed, of these things that keep us from the relationship with you that you've designed for us. I pray that we can embrace this community and can open up with each other and can expose sin. And I pray that we can make decisions to deal with these things if they are in our lives today. I pray that each one of us can, can find someone here that we feel safe to open up with and, and have a good conversation about these kinds of things. And uh, Father, I pray that our marriages can be strong and can, can, uh, can glorify you and uh, can be a, light and a, sh- and a shining light in a dark world in terms of relationships. And uh, thank you for the the way that you love us and and that you have given up everything for us to make us holy. Uh, You put our needs above your own, God, that you, in in the cross, Jesus gave up everything, his body and his blood, so that we could have a, 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 a chance to be with you forever and a chance to have all of our sins forgiven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.